Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And welcome back to our long-form look at the nature and content of a game publishing agreement. Here, looking at the form of game publishing agreement that Raw Fury publisher generously put up on the internet for all to see at the end of 2020. If you haven't been following the series, you can check it out in playlist form where we go over each of the sections of this agreement, modified for purposes of this conversation to grab certain sections that relate to one another rather than going through it in order. But we've talked about who owns the game, who owns the intellectual property of this thing that's being created, what the obligations of the developer are to deliver it, what the obligations of the publisher are to market it and to fund it, what it looks like in terms of contract language, in sharing the profits that are hopefully going to come from the customers of that game that was wonderfully developed by the developer and wonderfully marketed by the publisher. In the second half of the series, we wound up talking about some of the more legal technicalities, the promises that you make about the game and about your obligations under the contract, the representations and warranties, exactly how you pay for breaches of those, holding harmless the other party for problems that might arise from a breach of those payments. And today we're going to talk about the last item of substance in the contract, not the last item that is important. We have a section called part nine here called all the rest, where we're going to talk about some of the miscellaneous provisions. They tend to be shorter. They can, of course, be important, but they tend to be more boilerplate, a little less negotiated. Not the case with the section we're going to talk about today, term and termination. And before we dive into the language on this section, I do want to say this is often a section that is somewhat difficult for the parties to negotiate. And the reason for that is that unlike some of the other sections where we're talking about how wonderful this relationship is going to be, we're getting together, we're paying money, we're developing a video game, we're going to market it, we're going to sell it, we're all going to make millions. This is about projecting into the future a world in which all those great ideas and hopes and dreams, they didn't work out. That the publisher and the developer probably don't get along at this point, that someone broke their promise to the other, and one or both sides simply wants to end it. And like any other relationship, that's really not a lot of fun to think about. But if you're in business, whether you're developing a video game or you're publishing and marketing one, it's an important thing to think about because sometimes relationships, despite the best efforts of both parties, they simply don't work out, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad. But the better and more clear the language in the contract, the better off both parties are going to be because avoiding litigation is the name of the game here. Chances are these parties don't like each other when you find yourself in this section. And if there are ambiguities, if there are things that don't make a lot of sense, that opens the door for some enterprising litigator to decide to sue the other. And that's where things get really expensive. So it's always a good idea to really go through the thought experiment. What does this look like if things go wrong? What rights should you have? What rights should I have? How should I be able to counter those or otherwise explain myself if I don't think that there was a breach of the agreement, for instance? How does that look? And if we go through the thought experiment before we get to that point in time, things are going to be better off because everybody's going to have a better understanding of what their rights are. Does that eliminate every possibility for litigation? Absolutely not. You can have the best contract written in the world. You can still have lawyers that want to get in there and can convince the parties that it's worth fighting over in court. That happens. That will continue to happen. You can't avoid it entirely. But as a contract lawyer, as a commercial guy, as a transactions guy myself, the goal here is to make sure that both sides understand what is happening and that it is clear enough that when they really don't like each other and they're not seeing each other with quite the same eyes, that they can still look at this section and understand what needs to happen and what doesn't. 
So let's dive into the language. First, very simply, this agreement begins on the effective date and shall continue in full effect during the capital T term. Capitalized letters have definitional purposes and we go to the definition section and we see that the definition of term is as follows. This agreement shall become effective from the effective date and shall be in full effect perpetually. This is a perpetual unending agreement or until such time that it is terminated by one or both parties in accordance with articles of this agreement. So as a baseline rule, this agreement with raw fury, if you're a game developer, is designed to be perpetual. And that makes a lot of sense. You're giving away the marketing rights and the publishing rights, and it's a little bit hard to take those away halfway through. And so it's designed to be perpetual, but as always, subject to termination because these are just words on a page. One side or the other might not do what they promise to do in all these various other sections we've spent all this time going over. So you have to have some eject mechanism if somebody doesn't do what they say they're going to do. First, we talk about what happens when there's a breach by the developer, the folks making the video game. In the event of a material breach of this agreement by developer, and materiality is a concept you'll see in almost every contract. It's a bit of a term of art. It means something serious, right? If you had a promise that you wouldn't steal the assets of your partner, that's important. And if you accidentally take a pen off the premises, technically speaking, you've stolen the assets of your partner. But the law would look at that and say, no, you don't get all this panoply of rights. You don't get to bring down all the hammers because someone forgot that they had a pen in their pocket when they left your premises. So there's generally speaking, an implied materiality in most of these circumstances. And it's even better when it's expressly stated here. So in the event of a material breach of this agreement by developer, publisher gets to do some things. Publisher shall have the right to suspend publisher's obligations to make payments to developer and or offset any royalties or other payments due to developer under this agreement against any sums owed by developer to publisher until developer has remedied such breach. So developer does something under the agreement that they shouldn't have done. Maybe they fail to deliver. Maybe they fail to do reporting things. Maybe they fail to help market. Whatever it might be, there's a material breach on the part of the developer and then publisher gets the instantaneous right to suspend their obligations to pay developer. Probably with a letter that says you're in breach right now. We're not going to pay you until you fix it. Then, if such breach is not remedied, if it's not fixed, Within 30 days of the written notice from publisher, publisher shall have the right to immediately terminate the agreement. So it's kind of an escalator. First, publisher says, okay, you're not doing something you said that you would do, right? And it's not over just when the game is finished to be made. That's the big thing that the developer owes. But if you remember when we talked about marketing the video game, developers shall cooperate and support publisher in its efforts to do everything that publisher is going to do including helping things like live promotion and developer activities and outreach through online channels. One of the things that the publisher could claim under this section is that you didn't help market the game enough. You weren't participatory enough. We asked you to do a takeover on a social media channel and you couldn't find the personnel. And if you do that enough times, that's a material breach. And if you don't fix it, if you don't start doing what you promised us you would do in the agreement, then after 30 days, you have a 30-day grace period to make it right we can terminate the agreement. Now, termination is very, very bad in this form of document. The other thing I would say, I've said it in other episodes in this series, is that this is a form of agreement. This is what Raw Fury proposes to a developer. And then the developer's counsel, someone like me, someone like their own internal counsel, will look at it and say, I want to talk about this section and this section and this section and this section. So 
in many ways, while this is a very kind of middle of the road, as I've said in a number of instances in this series, fair document to be proposed to a developer, there are instances where raw fury uh, takes a little ground that a developer's counsel might want to push back on. And the following is one of those areas. So when there is a termination, publisher raw fury gets a few rights. The following shall apply in the event of a termination by publisher. As determined by publisher in its sole discretion, and that's where I think the rubber hits the road here. That's something that we're going to discuss in just a second. But understand that part highlighted in orange. In its sole discretion, publisher gets to make this decision between these two options. Either upon the request of publisher, the initial advance and any additional advances, as well as other funding, shall without delay be repaid in order for developer to maintain its rights to the game. And in such event, developer may repurchase the publishing, marketing, and distribution rights granted to publisher under this agreement at fair market value, or all rights to the game shall immediately be assigned and transferred free of charge to publisher, in which case developer shall not be entitled to any developer share. And in such event, publisher shall be entitled to finalize the development work and release the game itself or in collaboration with a third party chosen by publisher. So if there's a termination, which again is triggered on a bad act of some kind by the developer. We'll assume that it's legitimate and that there isn't actually a fight about whether it occurred. Developer does a bad thing, can't fix it within 30 days. Publisher sends a letter and says, you can either pay us back our advances, right? Remember when we talk about initial advances and additional advances, this was something that they always had built into the agreement as having to come back to them. When we talked about the developer funding repayment section in funding the game, we talked about the fact that the total principal amount, which was the combination of all advances plus a markup, has been recovered from gross revenue before they get paid anything, which means that publisher Raw Fury is putting some money in initially, is putting some money in on a monthly basis, all under the contract. They get that money back first. They get their capital commitment back first. And that's not unusual, but it's worth noting when we look at something like this, that, hey, okay, we're terminating the agreement. You have to pay us that advance money back. We were going to get that back first anyway. That's stuff that we paid to you and we need it back in order for you to maintain your rights to the game. So this kind of colors what we talked about in earlier sections of this series. Yes, the developer owns the game. They have the rights to the intellectual property, unless they don't. If they fail to deliver a game based on that intellectual property, then in order to keep it, they need to pay their money back. And that's at the option of the publisher. Again, an important point. Now, the second part here is a little bit odd. It says, in such event as the developer has paid us our advances back, it may also repurchase the publishing, marketing, and distribution rights granted the publisher under this agreement at fair market value. Now, it's a little bit odd because one can't really imagine what this relationship looks like if the developer doesn't do that, right? So this may here, developer may purchase the publisher out of the contract is a little bit illusory because if the developer is paying for the rights, keeps the intellectual property, it either is going to have a publishing, marketing, and distribution relationship with the company continuing, which it obviously doesn't on a termination, or it's going to have to repurchase these rights that it is otherwise given up. Now, it's also on termination of the agreement, which would automatically reduce those rights. There's a lot of weird things happening here. I would certainly, if I were sitting at the table, say, Raw Fury, what are you looking to protect? What do you want this to look like? Let's clarify some of this, because I think probably what you mean is, you can elect to get this money and this money, and that's one piece of the puzzle, or you can seize the game, right? And the bad part about this from the developer side of things is they can seize the game, no longer owe you any royalties, and you still technically owe them for the money that was advanced to you. 
Continuing with this section, they say, if and when under item two, we seize the game, the gross revenues from the sales of the game equal the total principal amount plus markup, publisher will set off and release developer from its claims for compensation against developer with the corresponding amount. So they seize the game. They've paid you millions of dollars. They still want those millions of dollars back. They go and sell the game themselves. And only if the game actually makes that money back, do you get taken off the hook. So it's no longer your game. You're no longer finishing it. You're no longer doing quality passes, whatever it is to get it to market in the way that you saw fit. You still owe them the money back. You haven't paid them the money back. They go to sell it. And if they only make half back, well, then now they have a contract claim and a letter from their attorney for the remainder of the advances that they made, all at the publisher's sole discretion. So if I'm the developer, I'm sitting here saying, okay, well, if publisher gets to choose, then I think if they seize the game, then I don't owe any of the money back. They've made that decision for themselves. Uh, If publisher gets to choose, all of this stuff below here should come out. It should be exchanged for, I'm off the hook. You decided to keep the game. That was your payment for the money that you paid me. You developed a game. Here is the game. It's yours. There's not the rest of this kind of stuff in here. In the alternative, if you're a developer, you could say, well, okay, so there's been a breach or there's a claimed breach by you. Why isn't this at my discretion? Why can't I say, I will pay you out. I will buy out your rights. I will pay you back your advances if I want to keep the game. Or I can elect not to do that and you can get the game. And then maybe if it's at my discretion, we can start talking about whether or not you have to make the gross revenues back in order to get out of that refunding position. And I'm sure Raw Fury in the course of their negotiations has had discussions like this. But it's just worth noting what the rights and obligations that Raw Fury in their ideal world would take, which is there's a termination, it's 30 days old, we get to kill the agreement, and then we get to decide whether we want money or we want the game. And in every instance, in every instance in this contract or in any other where you see somebody have an option that's based on money and economics like this, you can bet that they will do the analysis and they will select the option that they think is worth more, right? That just makes sense. If it's worth more, then we're going to take that option and it's going to happen every time. Finally, they finish with some standard kind of boilerplate. Nothing contained herein shall in any way limit publishers' other rights and remedies under this agreement at law or equity. So this is just talking about the specifics of the termination. If the breach itself gives rise to a damage claim or that indemnification responsibility, then we can move forward from there. That's a material breach by developer. Now I will say, if you are developer counsel, you're sitting here on this side of the table, one of the problems that you have in any of these negotiations, and I talked to you about some options that I would potentially throw out there, is that You're talking about a circumstance in which your client, the developer, has done something bad. So rhetorically, it's always kind of a difficult push to say, I need to change this, I need to change this, even if there are instances where this probably isn't the most fair kind of disposition, even for a breaching developer. It's a difficult kind of negotiation to have. And the same goes for the opposite side of the spectrum, right? The next section is what we would expect, a material breach by publisher. For the most part, This is going to be publisher shelving something, not doing the marketing that it's supposed to do, or more specifically, not accounting for royalties correctly, not paying them when they otherwise come in, stealing money. In the event of a material breach of this agreement by publisher, developers shall have the right to immediately terminate the agreement unless the breach is remedied by publisher within 30 days of a written notice from developer. So they get the same termination right on a 30-day grace period. And in the event of a termination by developer, All of publishers' rights to publish, market, and distribute the game shall cease, and all such rights granted to publishers shall revert back to developer. Everything goes away. If 
developer has the right to terminate because publisher did something bad, otherwise materially breached its agreement, then the rights that publisher had under the agreement automatically go away. There's none of this accounting. There's none of this buying back out of the contract. Publisher did something wrong. Developer gets out for free or almost free. However, publisher shall be entitled to an amount corresponding to 50% of the gross revenues of the project until its initial advance and any additional advances are repaid in full. So there's no option given. But those advances, that money that the publisher paid to the developer still need to be paid back, right? They still get that money back, the initial advance and the additional advances. Here's where we see another kind of odd area of this particular section. The initial advance and the additional advances isn't actually the full amount that the developer would owe if the game just proceeded normally, right? The deduction is actually the total principal amount, which is those two items added together, plus markup, which, if we recall, is not insubstantial. In the definition section, the markup of the form document is 15%. And you see this when they start talking about seizing the game. If they seize the game and they sell it on their own, it's only when gross revenues equal the total principal amount plus markup that developer gets off the hook for these things. So it's a little bit odd that the markup suddenly is no longer at issue, but I think it's probably the right kind of formulation here with respect to a publisher breach. It, it may be overlooked here, where upon the request of publisher on a publisher termination, this probably could be defended as total mark, total plus markup and would make a lot of sense for the way the rest of the agreement and the rest of this section actually reads. Now, you owe the advances back, even if the publisher uh, breached its agreement. You owe those advances back for the purposes hereof. A 30-day late payment by publisher shall be considered a material breach by publisher unless publisher is entitled to withhold the payment pursuant to the terms of this agreement. Now, you might have noticed I skipped a couple of parenthetical phrases because I just wanted to talk about the substance here, right? As we said, one of the main areas in which the publisher is likely to breach an agreement, and this isn't specifically directed at Raw Fury, just by the nature of what the parties have promised to do now and into the future, is by not paying the developer what it is owed. So this clarifies to great effect, I, I would ask for a clarification like this in any termination section like this one, that a late payment is a material breach. It shall be considered a material breach unless publisher is entitled to withhold the payment pursuant to the terms of this agreement, for example, due to developer's breach of the terms hereof. And that's one of the reasons why when you're going through an agreement, when you're looking at a contract, you want to pay specific attention to the places where one party or the other can decide on its own to take an action, like withholding. Because when you start talking about a party being able to do something on its own, you get into these circumstances where, yeah, a late payment is a material breach, but if we can cobble together a reason that we were withholding a payment, then it's not a material breach. We can keep up doing what we were doing, even though you would very much like a check from us. We just say, well, you breached and we thought it was worth X amount of dollars, so we're withholding your check for right now. That's kind of a self-help, but it's a self-help built into the contract. So you always have to be aware of what the contract says any given party can do on its own, especially when it relates to an obligation it has to the other party, like sending royalty checks on. So this red part is important. Perhaps even more important is a little bit of ambiguity introduced by this parenthetical. For the purpose hereof, a 30-day late payment by publisher except if remedied after developer's notice as set out above, or the amount is only insignificant, shall be considered a material breach by publisher. So 
the developer gives notice of a right to terminate, has 30 days to fix, and then apparently gets another 30 days. 30 day late payment suggests that you can only give the notice after the 30 days. Then the notice comes in and then you get another period of time that you're allowed to remedy it before they can terminate the agreement. Becomes an issue. More of an issue to me is, or the amount is only insignificant. Insignificant according to who? Insignificant is not a legal term. Yeah, if it's 94 cents, I get insignificant. You want to say material here? You want to define what it means? Generally speaking, if we're going to talk about the amount isn't going to be subject to a termination, I'm not allowed to get very mad at you for not paying me this amount. I would like to have this quantified. 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, $10,000. What is significant versus insignificant? Because as far as this section is concerned, you are admitting you haven't paid me money that I am owed. And now you're claiming that I can't terminate for that reason because it was quote unquote insignificant. I would very much like specifics around a point like that if I'm on the developer side. So a couple of changes I would make here, uh, but nothing too grand. And the other thing to note here, we're going to talk about a couple of other sections, which are a little bit odd. uh, But the other thing to note here is that there isn't a termination for convenience concept. Most agreements, and not generally, always developer-publisher relationships where you have this kind of perpetuity concept built in. But most agreements of any kind will have a notion that says, you know what? You didn't breach the agreement. I didn't breach the agreement. But this just isn't working out. You know, I don't like the personnel you've put on this. As it turns out, we don't relate well on a personal basis. Someone is too brusque. Someone isn't doing the marketing I thought they would be doing. I don't like your strategic plan. I don't like the game that actually popped out. Whatever it might be. It's not buggy. It's just bad. I don't like entering into this relationship with you anymore. I want to step away. Ordinarily, a termination for convenience would say something like one or both sides can exit this agreement on some very long notice that allows us to unwind the relationship and the committed capital that we might otherwise have to meeting the obligations that we had under the agreement. 180 days, maybe even a year that says, okay, you know what? We can opt out And we can unwind this thing and we can settle up and we can talk about who owes what for what rights and and move on with our lives because at the end of the day, it just wasn't working out. This isn't included as a concept in this agreement. I personally like to see termination for convenience and going through that thought experiment of what that might look like. Generally speaking, the argument against that is that the parties here are so ingrained that it's built to actually have this relationship be perpetual. That's how the 50-50 works. We don't want to incentivize one party or the other to try to game the system and exit when they can make a lot more on keeping the royalties and not having the share. But I think there are ways around all of those arguments. You can have a tail period for earnings, all these kinds of things. I would generally like to see a right for the parties to get out if it's just not working out. Then we talk about some slightly odd provisions. So this next one is not about termination, even though it's appearing in the term and termination section. Delivery. In the event that developer fails to deliver the game by the final delivery date, and this breach is not remedied within 30 days or is agreed in writing between publisher and developer, so... You have a breach of the contract, but it's one that the publisher decides not to terminate the entire relationship regarding. Then, publisher may make other arrangements, including but not limited to engaging third-party consultants to develop the game. All costs associated therewith shall be fully recoupable at any time from any and all royalties and other sums accruing to developer under this agreement. Upon notice by publisher of its intention to develop the game, in the manner aforesaid, some fancy lawyering, developers shall deliver to publisher all materials reasonably requested or required by publisher to do so, including 
but not limited to the source code and the development tools to be used solely in connection with exploiting the game, subject to publishers continuing obligation to account for royalties. Now, overall, this concept is not so different from a similar concept that appears in various places in the agreement with respect to porting. If we look at the definition of platform, we see publisher may request in cooperation with the developer who shall not unreasonably deny such a request, third-party porting, where the cost of such work shall be deducted from gross revenue. And if we go and we look at the gross revenue concepts in the agreement, you'll see similar that when we're talking about when revenue starts to be shared, it subtracts off things like using third parties to do things like platform ports. So what this basically says is if you can't get the game to us by deadline, technically a breach, we're going to decide not to terminate. We're going to use a third party and that cost will come off of the gross revenues and then we will share royalties. That's fine. That's a perfectly reasonable solution to a circumstance like that. Where it gets odd is how it kind of melds with section A here, where if you recall on a breach that isn't cured within 30 days, like a failure to deliver for 30 days, publisher gets to choose whether it takes payment or it seizes the game. And in that seizing the game section, it says, in such event, publishers shall be entitled to finalize the development work and release the game itself or in collaboration with a third party chosen by publisher. And in this particular section, developer is no longer entitled to developer share. It's split of the royalties. So when you see a section like this, you go, okay, so I've not delivered the game for 30 days. The lawyer at Raw Fury or the CEO goes over, looks at the contract, says, what rights do I have? Well, you can go into this section C and we can use a third party and we can account for it in the gross revenues. They can owe us the money and then we split 50-50 with the developer or boss, we can seize the game and work with a third party and keep all the revenues, which is interesting, right? And also those revenues can be netted against any obligation under the contract that they have to return our advances. So you look at this and you say, why does this exist? It, it seems to exist because Raw Fury wants to have the option to have a more middle of the road attack pattern on the failure to deliver. Now, you could say that this section A could have a subject to section C or that failure to deliver doesn't apply in this circumstance. That's not a termination. It all goes down here, but I don't think that's what they want to do as well. So instead you have this kind of conflict of sections where if you're looking at it, honestly, you say, why would Raw Fury ever pick this if it can pick to just take the game outright and do the same thing that it's otherwise reserving the right to do down here, but without the royalties owed to developer. Now, maybe they just want to be nice guys in certain circumstances. Maybe they want to show that this is an option if something like this were to happen. But as a lawyer that only looks at these things like mathematical equations, I look at that and say, hmm, this section should probably be written a little bit differently to match up these concepts. And I'd want some clarity if I were sitting on the other side of the table from them as to what they intended from a section like this one. Similarly, this last section, which should actually be labeled D, I apologize for that, says after the game has been released by publisher and the initial advance and additional advances have been paid, notwithstanding termination of this agreement for any reason whatsoever, except a material breach by publisher, publisher shall have the exclusive continuing right to market and distribute the game for a period of 12 months following termination, subject to publishers on obligation to account for royalties. Now, this is that tail period concept that I had talked about with respect to terminations for convenience. This is a very common thing for, okay, developer wants to walk away, but if developer walks away, publisher has invested the time and resources and deserves a certain portion of the royalties from these sales and so gets a tail period of exclusivity. Yeah, we're terminating the agreement, 
but we get 12 months of continued exclusivity. Very similar to something like this, but it doesn't match up with this section, right? Because if we actually parse this, it says, notwithstanding a termination of the agreement for any reason whatsoever, except a material breach by publisher, well, we only have two categories of termination in this section. So if it's not a material breach by publisher, we're not in B, we must be in A. Publisher has elected to terminate itself because of a material breach by the developer. Publisher gets this exclusive right to market and distribute the game for a period of 12 months, but this section says that developer gets to buy out such rights or publisher gets all the rights anyway. So it doesn't really match with this particular agreement and seems to be either kind of a vestigial fossil from a version of this agreement that had a termination for convenience section or just designed to act as belt and suspenders, a highlighter, an underline, an italicized set of language that points out that publisher always wants to have at least 12 months after the termination unless it's responsible for the breach, not realizing that that means that they would have had to voluntarily terminate it and trigger these two optional sections, both of which will advantage the publisher, but neither one of which really gels with this notion of a 12-month tail period. It's, again, one of those areas where I would love to talk to Raw Fury and say, what is the thought process here? And can we make this section a little bit clearer? Because I said at the top of this video, clarity is what's important from a section like this because you're trying to avoid a situation in which some enterprising lawyer looks at these sentences and says, aha, we can sue them and we can make everybody's life miserable for some portion of time. So that's section 22, term and termination, part eight of this 10-part series on reading a game publishing contract. In the next section, we are going to talk about those miscellaneous provisions. I suspect, although I can't promise, it will be a shorter part than some of the other parts of this series. And then we'll talk about what we learned. We'll talk about exactly what we can see in this game publishing contract and how best you, either on the developer or publisher side, uh, can work through these issues with the contracts that you want to enter into in the future. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting on YouTube. Otherwise, thank you so much for checking it out, for watching it if you watch it on YouTube, for listening to it if you listen to it as a podcast. And I will check you out on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.